what I shouldn't be. We're not going to be stealing or doing whatever we, we, we are supposed to, we're not supposed to be doing because we love people. But in order for the church to be the church, it also, we also have to, we have to love the church. We have to love the church and what it stands for. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but it's not always easy to love the church. Like we, talked, like we just talked about, there's always something that's sticking his head up and says, well, the church didn't do right there, the church didn't do right there. And it's easy to find fault. It's always easy to find fault. There's, if there's ever people around, it's easy to find fault. And it's easy to, to find the flaws in the church. And it's easy to point out what is wrong with the church. And in fact, it's kind of become a, a movement, even, with, even within the church, uh, there is bashing of the way that the church is run and, and the way things uh, are. If you, read, if you read any Christian books, uh, lots of times there's authors who are talking about the church and they talk about how bad it is and, and things like that. And even though there may be some things wrong, if you keep going in Revelation and, and read what Jesus writes, Jesus goes to the churches and he says, these are the things that I see. This is what I see that's wrong. But at the end of every letter, he says, but that's where I am. He says, that's where I am. Jesus doesn't take all the churches and lump them in a big old bucket and say, you're all a bunch of worthlessness and the whole thing stinks and I don't want anything to do with it. Jesus goes to each particular body and he says, this is the way that it is but I still love you. And even in the midst of your trouble, this is where I am at. Because Jesus loves the church. And when we read here in this scripture in Ephesians, and the word tells us about this, it describes how Jesus loves the church. And this is written towards husbands and wives, but he says, really the only way that he can actually give the right relationship here that a husband and wife should have he says i have to equate it to jesus and the church to christ in the church he says christ is the head of the church his body the church is his body of which he is the savior now as the church submits to christ also wives should submit to their husbands and everything husbands love your wives just as, Jesus, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The word says when the, when the, when the two become, when, the, when man and women are married, the two become one. And we are the body of Christ. We are, when we come into fellowship with him, we become, and he is the head, and we are the body. And uh, I don't know if you ever... Uh, if you've ever watched Seinfeld, the other night I was watching Seinfeld, and George had a, his arm would, he, it wasn't really moving involuntarily, but he would just walk around and go like this, and he was having this involuntary movement. And it was like the rest of him was fine, but his arm. And I wonder sometimes if Jesus, his head is perfect, and he's wanting the rest of the body to do right, but every now and then the body just does something that he goes, are you kidding me? Why did you do that? And I think sometimes he looks at the church and goes, why are you doing that? That's not what I wanted you to do. That's not what I told you to do. Why are you doing that? But he still, thank God, he still 
loves us. And he, and the word says that he's joined to us and it says that he married. He's, that's the, 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 that, the, that the relationship is a married relationship. And uh, he still loves her. And so we need to be very careful about how we speak about the bride of Christ. Now we have several, we've had several weddings in here. And usually when we have the weddings, they, they take these altars out and they put these steps here. And the ladies, they like to come in one of those two doors and they like to walk down that center aisle. And we'll all be in here and, and the music will start and, you know, and all the little kids will walk through and, and then the guys and the ladies and they'll all line up and there'll be a big lineup up here and, oh, it's just, it's just beautiful and grand pageantry and all this stuff. And then from the back you'll hear... Dun, 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 dun. And the pastor will say, all rise. And then back in the back, the doors will open. And it's just like, oh. and in walks the bride. And she's coming down the aisle. And I, I tell you what, I don't, remember, I, I, I don't remember much about our wedding day. I remember when the back door of Highway Church opened up. And I saw, I had, I had not seen my wife's dress. I had not seen her in that dress. And I had never seen her. I mean, I had no idea what she was going to look like. I remember when, she, when they opened up that back, back door, I'm serious. I went, because oh. she was smoking hot. I mean, she was beautiful. She was beautiful. She, on the other hand, went, <laughs> but I went, oh. and it was just like, wow. So imagine we've, Got everybody lined up. The music is playing. And the bride comes through those doors and she's got the dress on. And as she walks down through, somebody says out loud where everybody can hear it, why is she wearing white? I mean, why is she wearing white? She can't pull that off. And those shoes, those shoes don't match at all with what she's got going on there. That's... And she looks like she's put on a little weight since the last time I seen her. And they just start making fun of her as she comes down the aisle. And they're saying it where everybody can hear it. Imagine how her groom would feel up here. By the time she gets up here, everybody has made fun of her. They have said ugly things about her. And everybody's heard it. And she's probably in tears. Imagine how the groom is going to feel. I want you to know, folks, the church is Jesus' bride. And with all of her flaws and with everything that's going on, Jesus desperately loves the church. And you know, that's what, that's what marriage is. Marriage is, I take you just the way you are. And I know everything I know everything that's wrong with you and what I don't know I'm going to figure out but I still take you anyway and Jesus Jesus is the perfect groom but he took each one of us with every flaw that we had and he said I love you and I am going to be with you and I'm going to and I just want you I want you to be careful and I want us to be careful of how we speak about the church not, not just this church, but the church. 
And with, even with all of its flaws, and, and I'll tell you what, the, the, the Catholic Church has, has a lot of things to answer for. But throughout history, they've done a lot of good too. Orphans have found homes and people have been saved. And people, you know, Sister Teresa was one of the greatest, I think, Christians that ever lived. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that what, they, what, what has happened is not awful. But we need to be really careful how we speak about the church. Because it's just like saying bad and ugly things about the bride that's walking down. And it hurts, and it hurts our Savior. And so we need to be very careful how we speak. Because Jesus loves the church. And we need to find the things that are wrong with us. Work on those problems. Find a way to speak love about the church. And does the church have problems? Yeah, but like this morning, the word says we are to overcome them. And the church is not perfect, but Jesus says, and all through Revelation, he says, he, he goes through and he says the flaws and he speaks them in love and he says, but that's where I am. This is where he is. This is where he abides. And this is where he's about doing his work. And we need to celebrate the wins that we have. We need to look and see how we can do better. But the power in the church is loving God first and then others. And that's what makes the church so different. We're not, a, we're not in here for profit. We're a, not, a, we're a non-profit organization. We are not a club that... Uh, Few few weeks ago, I saw maybe it was this week too, but I didn't see it. They ha- they have a bunch of car people that move that uh, are in the car on, in the parking lot over there, and all those guys come together. And there's one thing that draws them together, and that's cars. But that's not what draws us together. We're drawn together by our mutual love of Jesus Christ, and He calls us into this with all of our flaws, with all of our problems. And he says, that's where I am. And you're never going to find a church that doesn't have problems because there's people. And God is always working within that to make us what we're going to do, what, what, what we should be. And, uh, and we need to celebrate what God is doing. We have something to celebrate in our church. And we've been doing like some testimonies and different things like that uh, throughout the summer. And uh, I've asked Ariel... Uh, actually, she asked me a few weeks, ago, several weeks ago. She said, I'd, I'd, "I'd like to share my testimony with you, and I want to. Sh- I want to show you when we get done tonight. I want to show you a win for our church." And so, Ariel, come. I think she's going to read it. Which mic, Alan, would be the best one? Is it on? Okay. Pastor Brian said, I'm Ariel Rindle. Um, My husband and I have been here um, at church for, I'd probably say maybe about two and a half years, and we've been members as well. Um, I'm a little nervous, so I'm going to go ahead and start off. (laughs) On the 16th of September of 1993, a beautiful baby girl weighing in at only four pounds and 10 ounces was brought into a dark place. 
She was conceived by accident as a result of a night of partying and substance abuse. The mother attempted her the mother attempted herself into a psychiatric care facility within 24 hours of having her baby. The father was left to care for the baby girl, second to his life of using and dealing narcotics and his profound drinking habits. It appeared as if the little baby girl had little or no chance of survival. Psalms 139, 13, four, 13 through verse 4. For you have created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Her first memories were that of a car accident where she was thrown through a windshield. There was glass and blood everywhere, including her head and hair. She had no clue as to what happened or why. All she knew is that she deeply feared for her life and was beyond scared. Years later, she learned that her father was intoxicated. He had far too much wine and beer to drink that night and should have never been behind the wheel. The police found bottles of wine and beer cans in the floor. She was not safely secured. She was sitting in the front seat without a seatbelt on the way to Buffalo from Springfield, where he had swerved off the road, hitting a guardrail, sending her through the front windshield, exiting the car. Because of his substance abuse and excessive drinking, the mother could no longer tolerate this kind of lifestyle, unsafe environment for herself and her daughter. The marriage ended, and the mother and the little girl made the move to Wichita to be with other family, far away from him. The mother was diagnosed with a serious illness that left the child to fend for herself when she was only eight years old. For the next 12 years, she was her mother's only caregiver. During that time, a move was made back to Missouri because a little girl was being abused by extended family members. Everywhere she went, evil followed. There was little hope that life would never get better for her. One thing, one bad thing lived lived after another, and she had to endure at such a young age. In her young adulthood, she struggled through a series of jobs that eventually brought her to unemployment at Emerson in Lebanon, where she met her husband, and her life began to change. For the first time in 22 years, the little girl that had everything stacked against her in the beginning was losing hope, began, was beginning to know God. God was watching out for her all along, hearing every prayer and plead she ever, she ever had. She had finally met her husband, the one she had prayed for the most, and the one who was supposed to save her from the mess she called a life. This story is my story. Throughout all the years of my past, I have always asked the question, why? Why did God do this to me? Why did he put me through all of these things? Why do I deserve this? Or what did I deserve? Why me? Meeting Ross allowed me to see things from the outside of my deep and dark hole for the first time. I began to see what a normal functioning family was and what it really meant to care and love for another human being. I began to realize a normal family didn't yell, cuss, or control, abuse you 24-7. They didn't tell you that you were a mistake and kept reminding you of all the wrong you had done or how much of a disappointment you were. They loved you for who you, they love you for who you are, a wonderful person inside and out. This is where I began to see what God had planned for me all along. 
Ross and I started to pray to get closer to God. And the closer we became to God, the harder Satan pushed against us. I still wanted to give in to my parents, and they still expected me to be at their beck and call. I wanted what I could have never had, the happily ever after, and my mother, but with my mother and father. I believed I needed them, that I could fix them. I was overwhelming myself with anger, hurt, and depression that was clearly holding me back from moving forward with my life, the life that God was building for me. What I didn't know was that God was bringing me to my spiritual awakening. I started to realize that God did not come that God did not want me to continue this revolving cycle day in and day out. God did not want me to be this rolling rolling ball of anger, hurt and depression. He had something better planned for me. I just had to let him drive. God didn't put this God didn't put me through this misery. Man did. God is what was trying to fix me. God God was what was trying to fix what man did. That is only if I let him. Back in November, our church had a 40-day fast. I was so excited to partake in this event. I had always heard of the wonderful testimonies that had over that have come from fasting, and I desperately needed to feel God's presence. I woke up happy one morning with excitement and a random... Sorry, I woke up happy with an attitude of excitement one random day shortly after starting the fast. I rolled over in bed to my sleepy husband and said with an enthusiastic tone, Let's go to Silver City! Enter drowsy, confused husband response here. Don't ask why my first thought of the day was to go to SDC because I myself don't really know. I remember that day like it was yesterday. When we arrived, I didn't want to do much. What I thought was going to be a fun-filled day of eating turkey legs and riding rides actually ended up being the day I hit rock bottom. This was the day I realized that I was only praying for what I wanted. And I was letting, I was angry that I wasn't getting it. I was mad at myself for failing to change my parents. I was mad at both of them for not waking up and getting the picture. I was mad at my husband. I was mad at the world. I was actually mad at God for not answering my selfish prayers. I was questioning my faith. Satan found a weak spot and was rushing in to replace my faith to replace my faith faster than I could realize it. This day was also the day that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. At SDC, the Holy Spirit woke me up and I began to realize that God didn't do this to me. God is the reason I survived that car crash when my intoxicated father drove off the road and hit the guardrail. God was the reason I met my husband and that I God was the reason I met my husband that I had prayed for all those years ago. God was the reason my life was changing. I just didn't see that it was for the better at the time or that this is what God or that this is what God's will was for me. As my husband always says, God will give you everything you need, but not, ev- but not always everything you want or how you want it. I started praying for God's will instead of my selfish wants, and I wasn't ready to live without my, I wasn't ready to live without my parents, which God knew as well. And that was actually when, that was actually what he was going to give me, not how I wanted it from the beginning. 
One day after church, Kathy and Bill Moss came to Ross and I and asked if we'd like to come over for dinner. After two or three times of having Kathy's wonderful, delicious meals for lunch or dinner, they came up to us after church one day. Bill more or less came right out and said, I hope this isn't weird, but we feel like God is speaking to us and pushing us towards you to be parent figures. Now, under normal certain circumstances, this may feel a little strange, but we knew and felt the Holy Spirit was putting this together without even questioning it. Since that day, our relationship has grown stronger and stronger. They have become the parents I've always needed and wanted, and the grandparents that Ross and I have both wanted for our kids. God has put this together, and because God put it together, I don't live in fear that it will fall that it will fail i have always been very reluctant to to get to close with anyone even my new husband in the very beginning this was the first time i grew close i grew this close to anyone in this short period of time my new parents have given me a whole new look on life and a future of mine this has always sorry this has always allowed me to get really, I'm so sorry. My parents have always, my parents have given me a whole new look on life. This has allowed me to get really, to get, to start processing the hurt and the anger, the abuse, the control, and the disgust with both of my parents, honestly, for the first time. With my father, I knew I needed to let go of the toxic relationship. I couldn't because of the fear that held me back. 24 years of control, manipulation, physical and mental abuse has put me in a hole that I couldn't crawl out of on my own. Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching at the door. It desires for you, but you must overrule it. With God leading me, I had managed to live a new life without holding, without hiding behind fear. God is bigger than fear. God is more powerful than my father. And with God by my side, my father will never hurt me again. I still miss my father and the few good and the few good times we had when I was growing up. But I know as long as I'm following God, he will mend our relationship if it truly changes. And I'm okay with that now. With my mother, she was diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia. To give you a little insight, it is a chronic pain condition affecting the trigeminal nerve in the face. It is uncurable and can last a lifetime and causes severe pain. She went through multiple brain surgeries and radiation. At only eight years, I had to watch my mother suffer through this pain. I had no choice but to put my childhood on hold and care for her for the next 12 years. My mother had a hard life. She is now on her third marriage. Her first two ended. Her first two years of marriage ended in physical and mental abuse that she has never dealt with. She is always hidden behind me and her job, putting her emotional issues to the side. Before meeting my husband, we were still living together where we fought all the time. When Ross and I got married, I moved out. Things between us progressively became worse. How dare I grow up, get married, and move on with my life as the word of God instructs. This was when... The control manipulation from her became much worse, and our relationship went downhill even faster. I could not let go because I wanted to take care of her every need and want, like I had when I was eight. She had lost her little girl that she had 
that she had hid behind for 20 plus years, and I felt so bad for leaving. So I tried and tried to do everything and anything I could make her happy. Little did I know, the money, food, paying bills, answering her multiple phone calls every day, or spending as much time with her as possible was never going to make her happy. Just as with my father, this left me in a rolling ball of hurt, anger, depression. I was mad at myself. I was mad at myself for failing. I was mad at her. I was mad at the world. And so on the story goes. Here is the same old wound. Enter here, Satan. <laughs> Ephesians six eleven. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. As I continued to pray for God to open my eyes, work in my life, and for his will, he helped me come to a point where I started to see that what I was currently doing with both of my parents was ruining the aspects of my life and quick. That day at SCC, Ross and I prayed together. When we finished, I felt the presence of the Lord overwhelm me, holding me. It was as if he was trying to tell me, Ariel, I have been with you all of your life. None of this is your fault. I made you to be strong, to be able to raise a family of your own, and to give your kids everything that you lacked growing up. And God has taught me, what God has taught me is that I can't change my parents no matter how hard I try. God has the power to change them, and I've given that task to him and have let go. I will no longer live in fear of my father. I will no longer ride the emotional roller coaster with my mother trying to fix her and make her happy as she toys with my emotions because I just certainly can't. God doesn't wish for God doesn't wish for me to. I will move on with my new family that God has put together at my prayer request. I will never stop praying for my birth parents, but sitting here with my life on hold, hoping for change must stop. God has given me the strength and courage and the will to do so. Deuteronomy 31:6. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or, nor forsaken you. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 5. The Lord's power came on me. The Spirit of the Lord carried me out of the city and put me down in the middle of the valley. The valley was full of dead man's bones. There were many bones lying on the ground in the valley. The Lord made me walk all among the bones. I saw the bones were very dry. Verse 3. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, can these bones come to life? I asked, or I answered. Lord God, only you know the answer to that. Verse 4. Then he said to me, Speak to these bones for me. Tell them, dry bones, listen to the word of God. This is what the Lord God says to you. I will cause breath to come into you, and you will come to life. It is time for me to come back to life. Thank you, Ariel. Unfortunately, there are thousands of kids with the same story that Ariel has. They're in the school and they're where you work and there are people you work with and people you know and their life is dead. And 
Christ seeks to bring them out of it. And Christ uses the church to do that. I want to thank Bill and Kathy for being the church. Being the church. And uh, they uh, uh, don't tell everybody what they're doing. And don't advertise it everywhere. They just are the church. And there's probably somebody around you. And if we looked and if we prayed and if we asked the Lord to show us. There's probably somebody around us that we could pour our life into and help bring them back to life. And that's what God calls us. That's what the church is. Is the church perfect? No. But it was good enough to help Ross and Ariel. Do we do everything right? No. But there's people whose lives have changed because Christ has worked through the church. Love the church. It's Jesus' bride. Be careful how you speak about her. Okay? Let's all stand. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, I praise you that Ariel talked about being in a bad place. And you reach down in that bad place. And Father, we're all in away from you father we're all in a bad place but you reached down in her bad place and you pulled her out and you gave her life that she never thought was possible and father there are kids in our town and students in our town and people that we work with who have gone through very similar things and their life is just empty and void And Father, you have called us as the church to speak into their lives. And Father, I pray that you would help us. Give us your eyes and your heart and your ears so that we can hear. And Father, give us the ability to speak and be the church. Father, I thank you for people like Bill and Kathy who are the church. And Father, I pray that you would help us all to be the church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. You are dismissed. Be careful going home.